everyone. Welcome back to the Witching Hour. I am Perry. This is Haley. And I think this is the last episode we're going to have to record on opposite sides of the country. Oh, that's so exciting. I was going to say we should get together for the next episode, but there's a reason that that can't happen. And it's a good reason. What's that? I mean, we should just tell people, right? I mean, it's oh, confirmed. I, I'm well aware of the reason. <laughs> yes. you, tell, you tell the reason then. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we uh, we have an exciting guest next week for Fear Street 1666. We're having Ash Zuckerman on the show. Ashley Zuckerman from uh, two of the Fear Street films and my beloved short-lived series Manhattan. And a lot of people know him from Secession. And now he's going to be Robert Langdon in the new Dan Brown show. So lots to talk about. I'm very excited. And I believe we've both interviewed him before and he's a good chat and it should be a great time. (laughs) This whole time me listening to you was just trying to figure out what my response was going to be because I wanted to say something that I can't right now. Uh Uh-huh. Man, embargoes are rough. Embargoes are a tough thing, but we'll be able to say whatever we want next week. I know. Eventually they lift and we're free to talk about everything. So the plan today is we are going to do a spoiler review of Fear Street 1978 at the end of the show. Before that, though, guess who finally caught up on Camp Cretaceous? Yep, yep. This Jurassic Park fan right here. So we are going to (laughs) talk Camp Cretaceous spoilers right before that. And before both of those, we're going to talk about newsy things. And and slight spoiler for our spoiler talk. Uh, I did not lead Perry astray. You, you enjoyed Camp Cretaceous, and I am so happy it finally happened. And I, I can't am. Really talk about I'm it. really mad at you, though. Why? You should have told me to just, like, go slow and enjoy it. I burned I- through those three seasons in less than a week. See... But if you had started when I told you to, because I've never not burned through a season. I went through all of them just the way you did all three, but I had to wait. So it's been a longer experience. Has there been any news on a fourth season? I don't think officially, I don't want to be wrong, but I don't think they've confirmed it. I find it highly unlikely they wouldn't. Um, but it might, my question is how is it, now like a concern of overlap with dominion and where they want to go because they're so tightly connected with the film narrative we'll we'll get there i'll put a pin in that i have a lot i have a lot to say about that and now what i want for dominion okay (laughs) um do you want to pick a news story to start with um well, I'll just say Army of Thieves because it's the first one that came to mind. And I finally did watch that a couple weeks ago. So it's what did fresh. You I enjoyed it. It's um, it, it's all the things I expected it to be. I had a, a real good time with all the, you know, high, just really high production value zombie action completely over the top. I loved the Snyderisms, just the way he films people in a sunset and takes so much so much effort for every shot. I do think, you know, that that comes with downsides too. Like, why is it so long? I can't say mm-hmm. for sure. And that's what kept me from watching it for such a long time is that's, I think I've said on the podcast before, it's very hard to find a day where you have that much free time. But I totally, uh, totally enjoyed myself. Um, I understand that. I, I dug it quite a bit too. And I'm really glad that Army of Thieves is going to center on 
I guess he was flat out my favorite character. Yeah, me too. Like my favorite connection in the movie was um was Dieter and Vandero together. I love I love the two of them and their journey throughout the film, but Matthias Schweighofer as that character is just like pitch perfect casting and I loved everything he did with him and it definitely made me want to spend more time with him not necessarily he, moving forward but going back he's directing this one right he is he is isn't that yeah that's wild. I didn't I didn't know all that much about him because you know he's he's not a super popular name yet in the U.S. But when I did that junket for Army of the Dead, I looked you know I looked up his filmography and he is a he's quite the skilled filmmaker and I don't know I just got I got a lot of faith I got a lot of faith in him directing that. Yeah, I'm super, especially since I was saying like so much of it is very, uh, you know, signature Snyder stuff. Mm-hmm applied to this big zombie heist movie i do wonder what that world looks like in someone else's hands well i tried to ask him about that at the junket and you know i got a whole lot of Zack snyder praise but (laughs) i don't necessarily think he's gonna be taking things from the snyder playbook and applying it to this film i I think if there's any kind of visual crossover it's gonna be the pre-established things as far as you know like set design and and uh wardrobe and things like that but this is also not a zombie movie so i think kind of earns it another aesthetic be a fool to mimic Zack snyder like what he does works for me more than it works for a lot of people and it works for some people way more than it works for me but even the fact that there's that much discussion around what is uh, obviously a technical genius he possesses Mm -hmm. to try to do that as another I think that would be a huge mistake Tis fair for anyone who wants to know what army of thieves is about here's the official synopsis In this prequel to Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, small-town bank teller Dieter gets drawn into the adventure of a lifetime when a mysterious woman recruits him to join a crew of Interpol's most wanted criminals, attempting to heist a sequence of legendary, impossible-to-crack safes across Europe. I love it. I love that. Why? Why would this be the first movie you make after your zombie movie? I don't know, but I'm intrigued, man. It's so random. I'm I'm very into it. And I like, you know, they're just images, but I like the images. They look good. I like Natalie Emmanuel always, always yeah. good. Um, I'm super intrigued, and it's it's such a random decision of like we're gonna spin off from our zombie movie into this heist specific prequel. Uh, bring it on! I want to see what they got. Show me, show me what that is. Right there with you. All right. I'm sure. Gonna... Well, now I'm gonna do my dumb. I have no basis in fact theorizing, Ooh. but I wonder if like the end of that movie could lead into the zombie outbreak or something to have more connective tissue. I don't know. It intrigues me. It intrigues me. Um, I mean, I guess never say never, but I'm, I'm not seeing how you can connect the dots to, to that. But I guess, you know, now that I'm thinking it through, there could be a pretty big gap between, you know, that, that first zombie getting out and how that person was infected to begin with. And, yeah, it goes fast. It goes real yeah, fast in Army of the Dead. Yeah, it does. <laughs> all right. Or, I mean, for all, for all we know, that's... Wait, what, what's the deal with the animated series? Does the animated series take place before the events of Army of the Dead as well? I think it might. Ooh, I actually think it does, because now that I'm saying it, I believe our, the Army of the Dead animated series is about Dave Bautista's character and the characters that, that he knew and what they do together, I think, during the initial outbreak. 
Oh, I think you're right. And it's called Las Vegas. So that would make sense because there's not, I mean, spoilers for a movie that came out like a month ago. It's not much of that left by the end. Yeah. So I, I feel like Army of Thieves might not do that, but that series might. Series? Feature? I think it's a series. Oh, gosh. It's, it's incredible how like I could study up on news for a certain thing and I can know my shit when that movie comes out. And then a couple of weeks later, poof, it's gone. Too much. There's too much. It's way too much. We're, I'm like, I'm not going to spiral out, guys, but it's a lot of shows and movies and stuff right now. My it's brain not- is like 95% Jurassic. That only leaves so much room for other properties. <laughs> That's very true. Actually, I take it back. My brain, my brain is like 40% Jurassic, 10% other, and then 40%. Wait, did I just not math right? Uh, you Get would it. be missing. I gave myself 90%. 90%. Yeah. <laughs> it's Friday. Yeah, it's Friday. And we're also super good at math, but I bet you were going to say. 45%, 45%, and 10%. Yes. Fear Street? 100%. wait now I need to redo my math (laughs) all right wait 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 I'm not giving fear street that much credit yet because it like it is it's probably one of I I mean it might be at this point my favorite thing of 2021 so redoing this I'm going back to the 40 40 percent Jurassic my other 40 percent is scream brain then I'll give 10 percent to fear street which which could be rising and then 10 percent to other things I, I didn't realize you were talking about all time. I thought you meant just this last week, in which case I would no. have to Fear Street definitely gets assaulted. I'm not talking all time. I'm talking right now. It's like, I feel like my brain is usually largely split between Jurassic and Scream with only sm- a small percentage left for new things. For everything. That's, just how, that's just how I operate. Huh. Well, uh, shout out for Fear Street to making it to that percentage then. Exactly. See, you get my point now. Yes, I do. And um, I mean, it's not not related to the screen portion of your brain. That's fair. That's fair. So there could be some overlap. We could we yeah. could uh, adjust those percentages. Um, but that was my shitty segue to talk about the fact that Scream has officially been completed. And when I say Scream, I mean Scream 2022 or Scream 5. God, that's frustrating. I, I don't I don't improve. Make your titles different, please. Isn't it an SEO nightmare too? Well, it's actually, it's gotten to the point where so many people are doing it now that it's easier because people just search the title in the year for SEO. That's fair. But for speaking to people out loud, what a bunch of bullshit. Am I, which Candyman? Which Halloween? What am I saying? You don't know. I feel like we have that problem a little less with Candyman just because it's been so long since the last installment. And I feel like- I feel like there might be a cleaner break where a whole new generation is is being first introduced to Candyman through this new movie. Like it feels easier to discuss that one that way than it does Scream when you just had Scream 4 come out in 2011. Just come out 10 years ago. Ah, Um, my brain. Well, I'm comparing it to the the Candyman. No, I get you. That just hurt when I did that. But- and then plus in between now and 2011, you had the Scream TV series. So, so that, that, brand has been in our faces a bit more very true um but this news is basically that the movie is done one of the directors uh matt bettinelli open said on twitter and i think he might have posted it on instagram too that you know the film is now complete 
and he posted he posted an image in the uh, in the edit suite, I believe, and it says "Scream" on the screen, and it's just it's exciting. I think he wrote "Scream 2022 is complete." We're so excited for you all to see it soon, and then he did hashtag for Wes, which always warms my heart. Very sweet. It's just it's a good thing, but boy, have I gotten not. Oh, that's not how words work. I have become used to seeing films completed so much closer to their release date that I'm like, are they, what? This doesn't come out for how long and they're done? Well, it is a good thing. It is a good thing, but it, it, it's just not something I'm used to anymore. It makes me like, I, I, I just, the last year has been so weird and that's, I'm trying to think of how I'm trying want I want to say this so often we do interview with filmmakers who are like oh yeah I just locked it last night before the yeah. premiere it's super weird uh and it's gonna mess with I think that's what I'm gonna say it's gonna mess with my brain for like the next seven months of me thinking it's about to come out yeah it's gonna be a hard wait I feel like this fact further emphasizes the fact that for Scream a January release date isn't a bad thing they are yeah. strategically releasing it at that time of year so yeah, for sure. It's, they've got other options, I would say. Yep. But I'm I'm pumped. I'm I'm hoping that the completion of the film means we're going to see some sort of teaser soon. I, you know, I know I know you don't want to do that too soon and then have the value of that teaser dissipate to the point that you don't actually drive ticket sales with your marketing material, but I mean, at least give us a teaser, a first look image at this point, just something. Yeah, I it is surprising that there's not even an image. But also like it's a strange case and I would, you know, I would love to be a fly on a wall in the marketing meeting because like, who are they advertising this to? Because we're built in, right? We're going done. We, the people who want to see the picture most will be their opening day. Mm -hmm. So who, who are they marketing to? I'm very curious about that too. And I won't be able to give you a good descriptor of that until we actually see something. But yeah, I also, the, the thing with January releases is I do... I don't necessarily think this means we're not going to get any marketing material before this date, but a lot of times with movies that are coming out in January, you want to wait until the holidays come and go. And then it's the the promotional onslaught that happens after. Right. Or you sort of unleash your big marketing wave during the holiday rush to the movies and set people up for the next month. I feel like that definitely could be the case. Like we'll probably have a full trailer. All of this going back to my real basic thought I struggled to get out, which is it's going to be a long wait. Yeah. <laughs> we are in for a long wait. I don't want to wait. I don't want to <laughs> wait anymore. I'm tired of waiting. Give me the stuff I want. Yeah, really. I have no patience when it comes to certain brands. You know what I can wait for though? another tomorrow war movie oh i well i haven't seen the first one so clearly i can wait i'd love to know what you would think what you think of it because this movie has has sparked quite the conversation i wasn't really prepared for this i posted a tomorrow war review on my youtube channel that you know it was negative i didn't like it i think it's a great idea with a wonderful ensemble and had all this potential and then i don't think that they used its its cast and the ideas well enough that's just how i feel and man did i make people mad just because i didn't like this movie and yeah. every 
everyone's insisting that I don't like it for certain reasons. And hey, I'm just reviewing a movie. That's it. <laughs> uh, I think that it, if someone gets <laughs> angry about a person they don't know's movie review, that's on them. You are entitled to your feelings on a film. But yeah, that brings us back to this news that The Tomorrow War II is already in development. And yes, Chris Pratt will return. Director Chris McKay and several other cast members are also involved in talks to return. <laughs> I so like listen, I don't want to I don't want to rain on anyone's parade who really is enthusiastic about how this story was presented and the next possible chapter. I think the big reason that I'm most disappointed in this is because of what I brought up just like a second ago is the fact that I think that I think that this movie suffers from the fact that it has so many good ideas and tries to cram it into one movie that all of those good ideas suffer. So it's like, I can't get excited about a Tomorrow War 2 because I think what they should have done is they should have taken this first movie that they made and maybe, you know, make it a trilogy. I, right. I think they easily could have taken this one movie and made like three really solid chapters with a very strong build. So I'm, I'm just having a hard time getting hyped for a sequel story when I would have preferred that. That's interesting because it's like the opposite of what we've talked about lately, which is people planning too much for a franchise and uh, not doing enough in the first movie. It's almost like there's a balance to these things. They had it here too. I, re I really do believe in the core concepts they had here, but so it goes to anyone out there who's excited though. Good, good on you. I'm glad that uh, you're going to get more Tomorrow War. How about The Purge? Do we want to talk about the future of the Purge franchise? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, you flagged this one. <laughs> what, are, what are these quotes about the next one? Is there a next one? Well, uh, you know that I don't keep my windows open. because my. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, but I can give the general setup while you get the exact quotes. Please do. <laughs> Basically, when this movie was first announced, this last one, The Forever Purge, it was being framed as the final Purge film. And as the film got closer and closer to release, that became more and more unclear. And when our, um, ooh, my brain just went a weird direction. I was remembering something I have to do today. Uh, when our, our resident ACE interviewer, Christina Radish, sat down with the uh, franchise creator, James DeMonico. I Very always good. almost messed that up because it, James DeMonaco and Jason Blum and the J, J starts make me want to call the other the other names. I hear you. Anyway, James DeMonaco, he basically said originally this was supposed to be the final one. Then recently he had an idea for another one. And the interesting thing is he wants to bring back Frank Grillo's character. And the really interesting thing is he kind of hinted in his quotes mm -hmm. to Christina that he might come back to direct. Hmm. If they I think I've, I found it. She asked him, when you wrote The Forever Purge, did you approach it as the final installment in the franchise? Is that how you thought of it? Is that how you still think of it? And DeMonico told her, I did completely up until four months ago. It was the complete final stage. It was in. It ended with America on fire. Me and Ed, uh, and Ever Everardo, the director? Uh, the director, yes. Um, 
were like, this is it. This is how we're ending it. And then I woke up four months ago and I had a new idea. I pitched it to everybody and they really liked it. So if the audience wants it and the cinema gods tell us we can do it, I think we have another one that we'd be excited to do. Then she followed that up saying, is that the one that you had talked about possibly bringing back uh, Frank Grillo for? Um, he says, yes. How did you know? She says, Frank Grillo told me about I it. Love that. And then DeMonico says, I'm not on social media, but I got calls from people saying Frank is talking about a purge six that he's going to be in. I was like, that son of a bitch. I told him secretly. He's <laughs> so excited. I love that character. I was the first one that was like, this is the perfect way to bring him back. It would be so fun for the audience if he's in it. Maybe I would love to direct it with him. It would be really fun. I mean, duh, with these franchises, in particular, The Purge. They're yeah. going to say the last, and it's not going to be the last. Even one of my absolute favorite franchises played that game with The Final Destination, and it's still going. Mm-hmm. That's, well, I mean, that is kind of the running joke of horror is anytime something's called the last or the final or the forever is that or there will ends. be another yes or ends there will always be another one <laughs> um i'm i'm good with it and i think that sounds interesting i liked those um first three films the best and i think the second one might be my favorite which is what introduces frank Grillo's character you liked yeah. election year uh i like things about it i like the shared sort of energy it has with anarchy mm -hmm. uh, they got really and this is a weird thing to say about the purge franchise but you'll get me i know you'll get me they got really dark after that yeah uh, a lot less fun and i understand why america got a lot less fun too but it just uh that that on the streets like gritty 70s thriller energy was my favorite moment in the franchise so i'm intrigued okay um I don't know. I've kind of, I've said this, I think on Twitter or something. I think I'm over the Purge franchise. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't think it's for me anymore. And that's not to say that, you know, the Forever Purge even is a bad movie. Cause I, I don't really think it is. Like, I think they, they're pretty successful at what they try to do. I, I just don't think I enjoy them or see the entertainment value in them, in them anymore. And that's, I'm literally just talking about me personally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you enjoyed the, you watched the first, I the think first, you reviewed it, the first season of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we enjoyed that. And that kind of has the same energy I'm talking about, where it's just chaos on the streets and people, mm -hmm. like a classic survival story. Yeah. Um, that I enjoyed more. So I would watch, you know, that's, it's just that through the high concept of The Purge. And I could watch like a, a million of those, honestly. It's when they get to spe a specific type of mean that they leave me behind yeah I mean you know in looking back I think I definitely like I I used to think that the whole core concept of the purge was like the most genius thing ever for a movie and I still think it is I I can't take away take take away from that but you know it just goes it goes to show horror horror is sometimes more fun when you're so far removed from what's actually happening. And I think the fact that it dips too much into the, the truth of our reality right now, that it, it just like, it upsets me more than it entertains me. And I don't know if I need that in my life right now. Completely fair. Um, we'll see, you know, that 
Blumhouse isn't going to make a sequel to a movie that didn't make money. So we'll have to see how the Forever Purge does for them before that becomes a real deal thing. That is very Uh, true. I could look that up right now because I'm right here. I can say this for certainty as someone Mm -hmm. who will never give up on Happy Death Day 3. Well, so, so far worldwide, the movie has only made $23.4 million worldwide. I don't have a I don't have a uh, production budget here, but you know if we're looking at the Blumhouse model, or maybe I should just look up the first Purge, and that'll be a, a ballpark. Even though this one looks like it might have been pricier to me, um, I would I I don't even know what well first Purge cost thirteen million dollars. I actually didn't even think that that would have been that high. So let's say this is a twenty million dollar movie, and it's only made what did I say twenty four. 20, roughly 24 million worldwide so far. I can't see them giving this $20 million. I don't know for sure. That's just a, that's just me thinking of their business model and what they give certain movies. Even 15 uh, though, even 15 for a production budget plus a marketing campaign. It's still. It's not good, but I also don't know how much they're judging on a grade based on where the state of theaters are right now. It's a very impossible thing to answer. I know. Uh, but I, I would say if this turns out to be, you know, by the end of its theatrical run, a straight up miss, I wouldn't count on the first six. I'm still going to count on the purge six, no matter what. I just think that this box office is going to dictate whether we see it sooner or later. Like, as in, if it feels, fair. like, I think it's going to dictate whether it feels like a continuation of the franchise that we know now, or it's going to feel more like, you know, a reboot or even a retcon down the line. For sure. Yeah, that's extremely fair. That's a better way to put it. Uh, it will happen eventually. All right. Sequels like Thanos are inevitable. Yep. <laughs> I like that. Do we want to, uh, speaking of uh, Avengers um, references, I think we should talk about Camp Cretaceous. Okay. Let's do well, it. well, because in, um, in season three, towards the tail end of it, they say whatever it takes quite a bit. I think one of those last episodes is called whatever it takes. It is indeed. You are correct. And I all I kept thinking together. of was the Avengers. All right. So we're just going to talk spoilers. So we should just warn everyone. We're going to go in on Camp Cretaceous right now. Let's do it. I'm excited to hear what you think. Your one and only spoiler warning for Camp Cretaceous, which you can binge all three seasons on Netflix. And I will warn you. You're not going to be able to stop once you press play. You're going to burn through it all. All right. They're very good. I loved this show so, so much. Yay. The first, I would say, I think it's the first two episodes where it's just like kids at camp and, you know, like getting into hijinks with dinosaurs. Like I was watching that and I was thinking, shit, am I going to be the only one who doesn't like this? Is this too young for me? Like what is happening? And then- the second the connectivity starts with uh, Camp Cretaceous and Jurassic World, I was sold because like the stakes were greater. It started to get darker. I started to, I started to like the characters. I found a number of them very, very grating at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was a little worried. I was not going to like any of these characters, but like ev- eventually... They, they come together, they have some real strong connections. And, you know, in looking back, I feel like it's a very natural transition for a, you know, a teen character to make where 
you know, what you want to put out into the world is basically like to the nth degree until you spend more time with people and you start to soften to the point that they see the layers underneath all of that. And that is what happens in the series. I actually totally agree. And I, I felt the same way the first time I watched the first season, but I'm really glad they take those two episodes because I think all that setup and the fact that they're pushing them out to their most annoying levels, like mm-hmm. gives such an essential uh, foundation to build the rest of their relationships through all of the episodes so far. And that is one of my favorite things is that this the show doesn't drop the ball on those established dynamics. It evolves them, but it never just writes one out or forgets who they were when they started or how they felt about each other. Yeah, that I, it's so true. And, and I feel like that makes all the relationships even richer in the end and feel more real and earned. And you don't, you don't see that super often in, you know, I guess, I guess animated series. I also have the, uh, I think this is on Netflix as well. I tried to watch the Fast and Furious animated series and oof. I I don't know. Maybe that was an instance where I should have given it a longer chance, but I had a real hard time getting through those first episodes. No, I mean, I felt not as intense about this it was it was still enjoyable but nowhere near as good as Camp Cretaceous their um Pacific Rim I think it's called the Black or something like that it's their anime spinoff it's fine but it does not accomplish with the characters what this show does with its characters and it doesn't what I find really impressive about Camp Cretaceous specifically in the first season is that the dinosaur set pieces are genuinely thrilling and a little scary. And I didn't never feel that Pacific Rim replicated the feeling of seeing those movie scenes. They work like such magic with creating terror without pushing it too far where it becomes something a kid can't watch. They know just how much to show of something, just how, just when to cut away from, from something. And then also... The Scorpius Rex is freaking like a thing of nightmares. That was a very, very scary dinosaur to me. I was so impressed by that. I, I think this is like some of my favorite dinosaur set piece work in the entire franchises in this show. Like they, they do such a phenomenal job. And I don't often, I've watched animated horror shows. They don't do it for me but this totally sucked me in just as much as the real or live action films like I was in it when when Sammy gets the little quill poison uh-huh. in her, I'm like I'm legit sitting there thinking they're gonna kill her that like deep down <laughs> I knew they were gonna find the antidote and everything would be fine but I was like I was schwitzing over that it crossed my mind too because it does people die on this show like usually you know not the kids yeah but uh they do die, like a, a good number of people have died on yeah. the show. And it was freaking me out. The way that they show it too, like again, it cuts at just the right point where, you know, if you've seen any Jurassic movie and you know what happens when a T-Rex descends on something, like I can fill in the blank there and it's scary. Yeah. And I had the same reaction at the end of, you know, I'm so bad with character names. When uh, Bumpy's boy falls off the- Ben. The monorail, when Ben falls off the monorail. Yeah. Are they really, are they really going to do that? I kind of bought it for a minute. I loved what they did with that character. Like, I just like how they went, they went to an extreme with it. Like, 
when when it was first revealed that he came back in season two, I I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, you know, this like like cute, nerdy, quiet kid in season one. And now all of a sudden he's going to be, you know, he's going to be the Chris Pratt of Camp Cretaceous where, you know, he's going to be a, a, a traditional hero who's capable of anything. I love that they took that mentality like to a fault for him where he had to learn how to rein that in to actually use that skill set to benefit him and also all of his friends. I thought that was a very smart way to go about that. Yeah, I I nothing but good things to say about the character work on the show or the dinosaur work or like uh, they have, I think because of the animated format, a little more of a liberal range in which they can be a little more fantastical with how much these kids can survive when it mm-hmm. comes to the super scary hybrids. So they take some really cool swings with the hybrids, like the Scorpius Rex, or even those ones they see in season one that are so pretty inside the tunnel. They're like, what a fucking cool idea. Sure, <laughs> they're just beautiful. Do you know what kind of dinosaur Bumpy is? Um, a Bumpy one. I mean that's not wrong I thought that um I thought that Bumpy being so cool was gonna encourage more people to properly learn how to pronounce ankylosaurus no I'll never I'll never do that but that's great that you know that Bumpy Bumpy so it's it's like my favorite Jurassic dinosaurs have always been the Rex and the Raptor but now ankylosaurus climbing the ranks it might even be number one now just because Bumpy is, is so sweet and I, I want a Bumpy. Don't we all, man? That's that's honestly the dream. Just like you have a dino friend who is tough enough to defend you, but also a complete sweetheart. Oh, mm-hmm. come on. And I love seeing all of them work together to protect Bumpy when the yeah. uh when the score when the Scorpius Rex attacked. Yeah. No, honestly, like that teamwork and friendship stuff in season three got me a little choked up at times. Like it completely works for me. That stuff got me choked up. And I, I would always get like a little weepy whenever they went back to OG Jurassic Park. I'm sure they but did. Like, and I think they did in season three what Jurassic World was trying to do. Like it worked totally well with the story. It didn't stand out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's the case. I love how they incorporated Dr. Wu into this also. Like there were there were also way more layers to him than I thought that there would be towards the end. Like he's, I mean, pretty much presented as, as a, a full-blown villain now in yeah. the in the films. And at the beginning of the series, he he definitely has those qualities to him too. But then you get further into season three and he has a couple of moments and conversations and looks on his face that it speaks to the character that you met in the first Jurassic Park, a, like a scientist who wants to create and, and, and bring this life into the world and just has a deep love for what goes into making that happen. And, you know, you, you think that's all lost on him at this point, but it's, it's still in there. Yeah, it's a good show. It's just, it's one of my favorite Jurassic things. I I'm I feel confident that they will make more. I just hope it's not a long wait. They, I mean, they definitely can make more. I would be, I would think it would be a missed opportunity. So the, the end of season three basically teases that the kids are out on the boat, but there's something on the boat with them. I'm assuming that whatever's on the boat with them forces them to return to East Lanublar. And given the, wait, what is the, what's the time period? So I know that 
Camp Cretaceous takes place six months after, at this point at least, after the closing of Jurassic World. When does the volcano erupt? That's such a good question because it's it's coming. It's coming soon. I, I need to look that up really because quick. Because the, the, we see them like running through when Wu and them come to the island, like the guy who gets eaten in the copter is in, mm-hmm. at the start of Fallen Kingdom. So it's coming. It's definitely... It's definitely coming, and I I do feel like if it's not too much of a time jump, I feel like it would, you know, it would make sense to have the kids on the island when the volcano erupts and try to try to get off. Is also knowing that that volcano um, is going to erupt has me stressed out of my mind every single time that Ben says goodbye to Bumpy. I'm like, no, I understand why it seems dumb to take him on the boat, but take him on the boat. I know. But then I think that maybe maybe Bumpy is the ankylosaurus auctioned off in Fallen Kingdom. That's that's a fun theory. I like I I meant to do this, but I first finished the uh, the series this morning, so I haven't had time. But I meant to go into uh, into Fallen Kingdom and scrub to the uh, the auction part to see if it's got even horns or not. <laughs> that's a really I like that theory. We'll have to check it out. Although I, they could totally just retcon that if they wanted to, because I don't think this was written written then, or maybe it was. I don't. Uh, I actually don't think this timeline would make much sense. So it's like if it takes place in in real time, like our our years, Jurassic World melted down pretty much in 2015, and then it's not until 2018 that we get that U.S. Senate hearing. So it would mean the kids would have to be on the island for years. Wow. I just realized I have no grasp of the timeline of the Jurassic World films. It's, that it's is crazy. As, it's as released. So it's like the first the first movie I think is uh is 2015 and then I think like close to immediately after they go to try to get the Indominus bone. And then it's a couple years later when we reunite with Claire and their efforts. And then that paves okay. the way to the the volcano erupting. I believe well, maybe, I believe that's the timeline here. Maybe they will go back to that island for a few years. I was also here. I, here's another idea that I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm like so excited, nerdy about I this right it. now. The other thing that I was thinking is that maybe, maybe the kids stay on the boat, but rather than like go to Costa Rica or wherever they're planning to go, they wind up on Isla Sorna. That's what I was thinking. Uh, um that's definitely where my head was at and that would be a fun way for them to further continue to explore like callbacks to the past but keep it in line with the plot the only thing that concerns me about the kids not getting rescued sooner rather than later is have they not brushed their teeth in six months well there's still all a whole bunch of facilities around right it's fair it's fair doing okay I get very stressed when I see any kind of survival movie that doesn't show the characters brushing their teeth. Well, uh, welcome to the apocalypse, darling. That's see, that's what would do me in. <laughs> Forget <laughs> the dinosaurs. Solution. <laughs> Forget the dinosaurs. I'm just gonna have my glasses broken, and uh, I'm just gonna have a nervous breakdown because I'm afraid I'm getting cavities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all have we all have our downfall. <laughs> I, um, I wanted to ask though like 
So you know how I've been saying every time we talk about Dominion, like I feel that Camp Cretaceous is laying kind of some groundwork for the approach I think that will be in that film in terms mm -hmm. of like there'll be more of a focus on coexisting with the dinosaurs and probably a bit more interest in the hybrids. Has that like reframed your thoughts on that at all by seeing this? I don't know about the hybrid of it all. Like I, I get the feeling like the hybrid con the hybrid idea is gonna have run its course. Like, especially with the end of the Indoraptor. Like, now we've got an Indominus Rex, an Indoraptor, and the Scorpius Rex. I, th I think we're done with that, and we're about um, integrating the dinosaurs that are left into everyday life, whether it's for war purposes or, you know, a T-Rex walking up to a lion in a zoo. <laughs> I don't disagree with that, but I also am keeping in mind that there's a human hybrid in the films. So I do think that that will so continue to be a through line. I'm very concerned about the human hybrid idea. It, it feel, I can't remember if I said this to, to you or not. I have this really big fear that that's going to be one of the big things that they introduce that gets like not left out entirely, but not given the screen time it deserves. You, you did bring that up. I would hate for that to be correct and I just can't I don't know to me it seems that like the way this franchise is going is they're so interested in that element of the science they give so much attention to Wu in the show that isn't called for like you know like he said he really gets to be more of a character and it's not his show it's the kids show if if they explore Maisie more or like to the extent that I think that they should I also don't think that that storyline is going to lead into like the hybrid type stuff. I think it's going to be more of a general exploration of the idea of bringing life into the world that wasn't meant to be there. Oh, I could that's, totally see that. That's going to be like the primary focus of the conversation, not necessarily like more gene manipulation in order to make bigger, stronger dinos. If that, I think if that comes back, it's going to be in whatever comes after Dominion. But I feel like the, the whole idea of having so many original returning cast members and also the idea of dinosaurs being like everywhere in the world beyond Jurassic, like that's a big freaking idea. Like keep the focus on that and do what you can with that and don't let things get out of hand to the point that you take away from that really good opportunity. Yeah. I feel very strongly about this. I also feel very strongly about the fact that now I need live action Camp Cretaceous characters in Dominion. Uh, yeah, I felt that way pretty strongly for a while, or at least the next movie. Like, I know there's no confirmed next movie yet, right? But uh, there will be. It's well, sort of the same thing as the horror sequels. It's like, yeah, it makes money. Same exact thing. I mean, look at, look at what Universal is doing with the Fast franchise. Like, yeah. they would be big old dummies to, like, also, I know from an art perspective, we're always saying like, like, don't run a thing dry, you know, stop it when it's at its peak kind of thing and just make a complete good story. But Universal is a company competing with a juggernaut like Disney that has Marvel and Star Wars and all this other shit. And like this, these are Universal's money makers. Like, I understand why they would feel the need to keep them up. I don't know what like the con, you know, I would never know what the contracts look like with Netflix, but I could see that possibly being a hindrance. Um, 
because that they're on the show is on Netflix and not on yeah, the Netflix. Well, it's a Netflix original show, so they probably own a lot of it in theory. And um, maybe there is not such a fluid crossover with the characters. Maybe there is. Again, I could never know what those contracts look like. But it is, you know, as much as Universal needs to compete at the box office with a juggernaut like Disney, uh, Netflix is waging its own competition in streaming. It feels like it would benefit. There's a, a fly in this room and it's so <laughs> loud. Um, it feels like it would benefit both entities to have like, I don't necessarily mean an even deal, but a situation where they could both make the most of these characters. Like one, it's like an all ships rise kind of thing. You know, like I feel like if these characters were in the Jurassic movies, it would only drive more people to watch them in Camp Cretaceous and vice versa. I would think so. You just never know how these these multi-corporation contracts work. That's true. That's true. But I hope I hope that you're right and that's the approach they're taking because I think that would be the smart one. And I would love, even if it's, you know, to start, even if a, let's say one of the camp counselors from season one had a, popped up in one of the films, you know, I really want to see the kids, but I would just love to see some tie-in. What is going on with those counselors? How are they not, you know, raising all hell to get someone back to the island to look for those kids? Maybe they got thrown in jail. Who knows? I don't know. I was, that's one thing that I've definitely been wondering about. I have too, but like, I think that it's smart for the, the series to say focus on the island perspective rather than taking us out into the No, that's true. That's uh, true. I have I have wondered the same thing. That's true. I don't I don't necessarily want to see it, but it's on yeah. my mind. Um, all right. Do we want to go into our next spoiler review? Yeah, let's do it. I will just say I can't wait till you're back here and we can fully not that we didn't just now, but I know we have more to say. Like fully do this over some beer. I, I could, I could go. It's it's very difficult for me to stop this conversation yeah. now. But the only reason that I'm okay with it is because. I love Fear Street 1978 so much. I love it. Love it. All right. Spoiler warnings for Fear Street. We are talking full spoilers for both 1994 and 1978. So if you're not fully caught up, go watch them, come back, and then listen to the rest of this conversation. It's so good, Haley. It's so good. I think, and it makes sense because this one is sort of the the most even in the way that she described how they filmed to us, you know, this one is the most on its own of the three in terms of this overconnecting trilogy. Like they shot this last because it was most individual in the trilogy mm-hmm. and it feels that way. And I do think it holds up strongest as a single film. This is like a fucking gnarly, really good old school 70s slasher that pulls no punches and totally works on its own. It is and it isn't though. Like- I think it, I agree. I think it's an absolutely exceptional full film that stands on its own two feet, needs nothing else. You could fully enjoy it if you've never seen any other Fear Street movie. But there are some very, there's very smart connectivity happening here. Oh, yes. That it, it's just like Fear Street 1994 and 1978 now basically give you the best of both worlds. You have two complete movies that you could watch anytime, anywhere, in any order. But then on top of that, the connectivity that we're seeing right now is so damn strong. And the way that they're unfolding this mystery, it definitely is that, you know, it is that feeling that you always have to like lean in and listen closely. And it's just, it's so alluring. And 
I'm trying so hard to express how enthusiastic I am without tiptoeing into a section that I shouldn't right now. I know it's very, very challenging, uh, but it, I will focus on the fact that as a throwback slasher film rooted in the hallmarks of a specific era, I think it satisfies those so well. Very well. And it's, I, I truly like, okay, so I watched it before our interview and then I watched it again last weekend who could tell time but I was even more possibly blown away by how freaking brutal it is the second time I watched it I was like there yep they sure do kill that kid just they just kill him yeah so many kids I put my hood on by the way because I'm afraid the fly is gonna go in my ears (laughs) it's so loud it's freaking me out um but yeah holy shit is this thing brutal because like campers die like so little, little children, like the one who is, um, who's the jail person for that's the one that I was thinking of when I said, they're not going to kill that kid. Yes, they are. It's that. And it's the way that Cindy dies. I cannot get oh. over how stabby that big finish is. It is so gnarly. That ax is just doing work. It's and it's not just her. Like Ziggy's getting the shit stabbed out of her oh, too. I like and sure, but it, like there's something there. about an axe to the chest that is singularly like gnarly. It's also like the stunt and the makeup effects of it all Ooh. because like literally every time the the axe lands, it's like her body shakes, blood pops out. It's it is. Did I tell you what what Lee told me? Did what what, what oh, conversations? Our witching hour conversation was 1994 specific. So we wouldn't have talked about this then. I did ask her in an unreleased interview that we're going to release for 1666. But anyone who's listening to this is special because you're a witching hour fan. I <laughs> asked her about the end of that. And I'm like, like, what's up? Like, why, why'd you get so stabby with it? And she's like, to be honest, it was just the end of the shoot. And I was exhausted. I'm like, fucking go for it. I don't think I I quoted her properly, but it was something to that effect. And I'm like, you do it. Well, that exhaustion paid off because it's pretty unforgettable. That is, that is up there with, it's, it's a very different type of kill, but it's that and the bread slicer that are like peak fear, fear street for me. Because I also think in addition to the, like the holy shit nature of how violent the, the Cindy death is. I also think that really speaks to how successful the movie is at building Cindy and Ziggy as individuals and also making a really powerful arc for their relationship as sisters. Like when they hit that point, that moment hits so hard also because you come to care about them. And it's it's hard not to fall for the fact that the two of them eventually reconcile and seem like they could support each other being doomed and shady side. And then they're ripped away from each other. Yeah. And I also like, this is related, but different. It, that happens so fast where, you know, she's trying to protect her little sister and then she gets brutally ax murdered. And I appreciate, cause you see people do shit like that in horror movies all the time where you like just run, you can't do anything, you idiot. But I appreciate that they made it part of the point where she's like, my sister died for no reason. She sacrificed herself for me for nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate also- I also appreciated how not unrealistic that fight was too. Cause I feel like most Ooh. horror movies would, would let one of the lead characters get a few blows in before she died. But yeah. like she gets one sweat. That is it. It's like, over. She didn't 
she didn't stand a chance. And like, not only that, but like Ziggy didn't stand a chance. She doesn't make it like two steps before the milkman gets her. Well, and you know, we're treading, this is not based on what happens in the third movie. This is based on an analysis of filmmaking. I think it is very smart to end both of your first two installments that way because you are setting up like these two sets of kids tried everything they had and they got brutalized Mm -hmm. like this is not a minor force to be fucked with um speaking of the mystery of it all and figuring it out i thought ryan simpkins as alice was so damn good in this i love her energy and her vibe and even though she's super obnoxious at the beginning i was having so much fun like that that's the other thing i feel like uh the casting director on these movies needs a big shout out for just finding a whole bunch of talented people to fill Carmen Cuba, legend, yeah, among my yeah, favorite working like, casting directors. She, she, she really she never misses. She never misses. It's also, like, I think we see this most, I think we see this most in 78, but a little also in uh, 1994. The idea of putting such, like, polar opposite shady siders together. Like, yeah. I feel like that winds up amplifying their journeys and, and, like, pushing them all forward with such momentum. Like, I don't think that they could have, like, Dewey, Dewey's chasing the fly. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that they could have, even though they don't figure everything out and save the day, they could have made the advancement that they did in the mystery unless you had someone like, you know, Ziggy who thinks you're doomed and Cindy who thinks you can get out by being Miss Perfect. And the same thing applies to the connection between Cindy and Alice also. It's mm-hmm. the situation that they're in and it's the way that they approach being a shady cider and finally them working together that led them to these discoveries in order to take a step forward. I think you're completely right. And I also think it ties into how annoying she is at first because you need that kind of character who has no boundaries or limitations to push the investigation that far yeah it's so true i mean you can apply a very similar thinking i think to uh, the characters in 1994 you've got you know like sam who kind of does get out and goes to sunnyvale uh, dina has the doom and gloom attitude um josh believes in the curse and then you know simon and uh, and and kate are their own unique individuals but it's like they they can't do what they did in that movie unless they bring all those minds together and i don't know it just it contributes to the fact that like shady side is a is a place that it is it's clouded with this one very specific curse, but there are so many like rich personalities in it. And I think it makes the town feel so like full and layered. And that's a big part of the reason why I want to just like live in Fear Street and never leave. <laughs> that's intense. I don't want to live there, but I sure do want to watch a bunch of these movies. I don't know. I kind of want to live there. I do not want to live there um, i want to live in a place where i'm chased by slashers and have needle drops propelling every step of my life forward and and your sister gets axe murdered by a mask okay no obviously yeah. we're gonna it's zero percent fun to live there. i would i would have figured out stopping my thought mm-hmm. yeah i don't uh <laughs> I don't think it's a good time. I think that's kind of the whole point is that they're not having a good time living. I know, but I, I'm, a, I'm a viewer at a safe distance, so I'm allowed yeah. to feel that way. Uh, yeah, but I, I would honestly watch 
a hundred more of these. I really hope that Netflix, I hope they're a hit for Netflix and I hope that they at least make another trilogy because it's to me such, I, I don't, we'll never know Netflix's real internal numbers, but on a creative level, it's such a success. I want it too, but then my mind goes to, do I want anyone other than Lee directing them? And then my mind goes to the answer being no. And then I feel bad for boxing her into Fear Street movies for the rest of her life. I mean, when we talked to her, when you talked to her after that, it certainly doesn't sound like she's over this. Like, no, she had ideas. She started this with Fox as a potential franchise starter. And um, I, here's the thing. Do I want to see anyone else do it? Not necessarily. I think this is like, pretty much perfect I love it I want more of that but if they find another filmmaker who has the same amount of passion and vision for how to approach a trilogy yeah bring it on no that's fair sorry I'm just so enthusiastic about these and Lee that I just like I've I've I don't want anyone else to do it (laughs) being such a baby about this um I wanted I want both honestly I want to see her do more and I would love to see what another creative mind would bring to it I hope they make a million of them. (laughs) There's so many things I want to say that we can't. I have so many ideas. We'll come back to it. I'm sure this is not our last time talking about Fear Street on the channel. That's true. That's true. I'm trying to think of anything else I want to squeeze in about 78. Um, I feel like- Shout out to that guy from Halloween 2018 who just dies real good. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, why doesn't he get more recognition? (laughs) What's well, according to the staff's name, he was just in Maravistown, which I have not. He was, he didn't have a very big role. Uh, Drew Sheed, I I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but like he feels like he's the unsung hero of so many things right now, and I want him to get like a starring role in something. Well, for now, he is absolutely crushing it at dying, like he is one of the best at dying right now. Both of those death scenes are unforgettable, yeah. I, his death scene in Fear Street was really good, but I feel like his death in uh, in Halloween was like that's on that's on a special tier. Well, that's more on him because that was really on his performance. It was. Uh, this one is more shock and makeup effects, but they both work real good. You know, you know what's especially heartbreaking about that particular death is how how it highlights the fact that Sunny Valers aren't at risk, and it makes me so mad. Terrible. It makes me so mad. I feel so bad for them. Well, that's not as actually they're at risk. Uh her well, they're at risk if real stabbed. They're at risk if they like as Lee told us, they're at risk if they like deliberately get in someone's way. Like like they like his character was at risk simply by like being him, you know? And he didn't even know. He didn't even get a second to like process what happened to him it's brutal it is such a brutal movie oh my god i am i am genuinely impressed by how far it goes with no mercy for these kids like seriously no no concern for an audience that's like not used to seeing kids getting killed it's like we're gonna kill like 15 of them jeez also somehow somehow not make it super fucking depressing and still be a fun entertaining film yeah i it's 
a very, very delicate balance and they pull it off quite well. Another shout out to McCabe Sly who plays Tommy Slater in this because like, I feel like not enough people are talking about how good he is at carrying himself in that role and the transition that he has to make because the fact that you could watch him walk around and ax murder so many people, but never forget who he was before the before that happened to him. That is, that's something else. That's something else. It's real good. And I like, the first time I watched the movie, I was kind of like, that guy's got a, a creepy vibe a little bit. I'm not sure I understand it. And I think part of that is that like, he's obviously a weird boyfriend for Cindy to have at this point in her life. And you're supposed to feel weird about their relationship because her sister and her friends do. But I still, having felt that, was not quite prepared for how creepy he really could be. Yeah, I think another thing Leah told me in that interview that is yet to run is that they were originally going to make him a masked killer earlier on, but he was so good that they opted not to. And I think that was a very, very smart move. I have to agree. And it makes it sadder because you do the whole time think about who he was before. Yeah, exactly. Shit, I wanted to bring up one other thing and now... I just had a brain. Oh, no, I remember what it is. Um, You didn't happen to see Kate's aunt anywhere in this episode, did you? Because there is a very specific mention that she makes, I believe, in 1994, where she said my aunt was there and it fucked my family up for a long time. And I kept looking out for her. I keep meaning to do better research on who that's meant to be. And I haven't I feel like it's almost got to be so obvious because they want us to figure it out. I've watched this movie a number of times and I still haven't been able to figure it out. That's what makes me think, is it like the most obvious thing that we're like, is it when your keys are right in front of your face, but you can't see them because I've, I've done the same thing. It's possible. This was also making me really mad that I didn't ask Lee this question, but like, then I I think I was also panicked that I would be in a situation where like, she'd be like, you didn't see Right, the keys are right in front of your face, Perry. <laughs> then I would have felt like a big old idiot. I was also, um, I was also wondering if um, Daryl Britt Gibson's character is at the camp too. Mm, that's an interesting. Because okay. I believe he's the same, or supposed to be the same age as uh, as um, Ziggy. Huh. I but I couldn't I have to watch these movies again. I, I I watched it with this in mind and I, I couldn't connect the dots for either of them. Interesting. So if anybody if anybody knows the answer to those, do I don't know. I guess tweet at me. I mean people are people are already going into spoilers. Like I guess that's the nature of a Netflix movie of a streaming release. For sure. Like that that spoiler etiquette just goes out the window. Oh yeah, it's been I Somewhere around the last couple of seasons of Game of Thrones and the first couple of seasons of Westworld, the rules became stay off Twitter if you don't want to get spoiled. Seriously, like some jerk, I'm not going to name names, but a real jerk spoiled (laughs) Loki for me at like seven in the morning the next day. Like, come on. Like, at least wait until they make an alligator hashtag. I'm not saying it's about the alligator, but you know what I mean, timeline-wise. Wait until they roll out those hashtags, at least. I I straight up do stay off Twitter until I've watched Loki. I I learned that lesson from WandaVision, because even Mm. if you mute everything, you'll never know what's going to be the keyword that's trending from the new episode. That's so annoying. I was so mad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
I'll, I'll stop whining about this, but I'll, I'll just reinforce how excited I am about Fear Street. And I can't wait to talk 1666 with you and Ash. And then just with you face to face when I can see you. Yeah. Hugs incoming. I'm so excited. All right. Before we go, is there anything you want to promote? Um, is there anything I want to promote? Um, did I do this last time? No. Did we record last week? I don't know how time works. I don't know how much I have to mention that. Uh, no, we didn't because it was Lee, right? Yes, you're right. <laughs> I had okay. to think about that too. Well, I had a nice long chat with Jason Blum. We'll be rolling out uh, some breakouts from that in the coming weeks. And then I believe the full Collider Connected will air a bit later in the month. I cannot wait to watch that. I will tease Fear Street interviews. If you want to see the interview with the cast of 1994, that one's been up and running for a little while. And earlier today, I posted the Sadie Sink interview for 1978. And then I'm sitting on more stuff, as you already know, from Lee and also Ash. And then stay tuned for next week because the Ash conversation is going to continue. And we're both very excited about it. Heck yeah, we, we will finally end the spoiler dance and just talk. I'm so excited. Wait. I'm so pumped. All right. (laughs) Now you guys got that to look forward to. That is it. You have officially survived the witching hour.